My guest on the podcast today is Mick Smith. Mick is a senior marketing and communications manager at Siegel and Gale, a worldwide branding agency. With Mick, we talked about how to leverage your sales skills to get into a new industry uh, and how to leverage your artistic skills to become a better marketer. We also talked about building an agency brand and getting new high-level clients. Uh, and finally, we talked about what uh, CMOs are worried about and the best way to help them today. Uh, I love this chat with Mick and uh, I hope you enjoy it as well. Welcome, Mick. Thank you so much for joining me today for this uh, new episode of the podcast. Um, I'm so grateful for, uh, for your presence today. So today I'm with Mick Smith, uh, who is a senior marketing and communications manager uh, at Siegel and Gale. Um, so Mick, can you tell us a bit more about yourself? Hi, Badis. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. Um, delighted to be here. Yeah, sure. So I'm the senior marketing communications manager at Siegel and Gale. Um, I started as a, as a musician back in, in Dublin, which I did for about 10 years. Um, I remained in the creative industries in, in sort of one form or the uh, one form or the other, uh, up until I moved into uh, agency side with with Mike and Dandy, um, and then I went into uh, to do a master's in advertising in the creative economy, and from there moved into digital transformation at the bio agency before eventually moving to Siegel and Gale, um, and now my my role is to look after marketing for EMEA, so that would be everything from content creation to events, PR, outbound campaigns, pr- pretty much all of the day to day stuff. Interesting. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I, I love the, the, the transition from being a musician, musician to, to agency work. Like, how did that happen? How did you transition from, from there? It was, a, it was actually a bit of a, a bit of a roundabout route, to be honest. I, I, I was a musician in Dublin, working in a factory at the time, um, just sort of, if anybody's worked in the music industry, they know it's not the most lucrative industry in the world and you sort of have to have an immense love for it and, uh, and be able to pay for it yourself rather than get paid. So um, it was pretty much just working a full-time job to try and pay for it as, you, as you're doing it. And once the band broke up, then it was, I moved to London to, um, to, to, I was working in a bar actually for a few years and I was going to stay in that industry, uh, which was my plan to, to open a pub in, in central London. And then for whatever reason it didn't happen i ended up moving agency side and um yeah it's been it's been one of those situations where you've kind of i've taken i've sort of i suppose that all the skills that i use now in in my current role are the same skills that i was using back in the day as a musician and a songwriter and stuff like that uh and i guess it's just been a way of following a career path that has gotten me to this to this point but just in a bit of a roundabout way so it's it's not been very, very linear but it's definitely been interesting and I've, I've pulled a lot of insight from different areas that I've been able to utilize in, in my current role, which has been great. So, so how, how did you get that? I'm just curious, but how did you get that first job in an agency? How, how did that happen? Uh, well, it was basically because w- when I was working in the pub, I was, uh, it was an Irish bar in central London. We, we obviously had lots of friends in different pubs from the area um, and a lot of people that would come in and, and have drinks and stuff like that or watch the, watch the football. I got to know them. Um, and because I was I was pretty good at, at upselling products and being able to you know have a bit of a personality and get to know people and um, I, I just managed to I, I met the owner of the business there uh, and he said he wanted me to come in for an interview and have a try and see if I could help them with uh, with selling the business and, and working in the new business new business team with them 
Um, so it was pretty much just a transfer of skills over from really just from, you know, trying to get to know people and leverage or establish and leverage relationships and just moving it from, you know, walking around a bar and having a chat to people to sitting on the phone and discussing, you know, selling branding and, and design to, to potential clients. So amazing. It's, it's, I, <laughs> yeah. It's really an amazing story. I, uh, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it's really interesting the way you talked about leveraging the, the your sales skills to, uh, to a different industry and, uh, I actually worked for an agency before and one of the top directors of the agency used to be a real estate agent. Like he had no agency, no marketing experience before becoming like one of the top, you know, players in the agency. And by, because he was an excellent salesman and he used that. So, yeah. Yeah. I think there's huge value in that. You know, if everybody goes to the same process of getting from A to B to C to D, then you just have the same perspectives in the room all the time. And, you know, the learning that people are going to get from each other is limited, but if everybody's coming from different backgrounds and getting to the same place via different routes, then we all have something that we can share that, you know, maybe the next person doesn't have, and we all come away better for it in the end. So I think there's, I think there's a lot of value in it. I, I, I'm, I'll be curious to know um, later, how do you, how you use the, the sales skills you learned and you, you started with in your career and kind of use this in a more of a marketing role that you have today, because that's, that's your role today, right? Is it, it's more marketing focused? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's really been about storytelling, you know, um, I was the songwriter in the band at the beginning or back when I, when I was a musician and it's the, it's the same thing really to an extent, you know, you're, you're taking an idea and you're trying to explain it to somebody in a way that makes sense to them. Um, and I find marketing is a very similar thing. You're, you know, you're taking a, a product or a service and you're trying to explain it to the audience from, you know, and understand their perspective. Um, and uh, I think no matter what kind of industry you're in or, or even no matter what role you're in, communication plays a huge part in it. And being able to explain yourself and, or explain what you're doing or try to get your point across is always going to be really key. If you, if you can explain something properly, you're, you're kind of halfway there um, a lot of the time. So, yeah, I think it's just been about... I think it's been about just a lot. I suppose maybe it's just about those kind of key skills like empathy and being able to understand who you're speaking to, your audience or who you're trying to interact with uh, and the world around you as well. And just try, maybe just trying to be a bit strategic in how you approach things. Definitely. Um, and so right now you have, uh, you have more of a marketing role. So what are you working on currently? Like kind of the big projects, like what, what's, what are your objectives and um, you know, how do you structure your, your job currently? So marketing in Siegel and Gale is, is part of the BD team. So we would work really closely with the sales guys. Um, and I, I suppose like that first priority from that then is to, is to win new business and serve the sales team. Um, but for me personally, it's about kind of like building on smaller targets to get to that point. So trying to focus on things like brand awareness and producing, you know, quality content or developing industry relationships and global events and stuff like that. But I think it's been, I think having a commercial perspective is, is probably really important at the moment for, for any marketer and being able to demonstrate that you, what you do makes a difference. Um, and I, I guess my own personal target is to make sure that like the sales and marketing functions are, are really closely aligned and, and, as the team, we, we push to make sure that that happens like as a, at a global and a local level. So we, we work quite closely with the BD teams across all of the offices and, 
I think we're pretty strong in that respect. Um, but yeah, awesome. I think it's trying to work as closely as possible. Um, I, I have a question that I like to, to ask to, uh, you know, everyone in the, in the agency world, but, uh, uh, what's your take on like developing an agency brand? Like, you know, there's so much competition, there's so much, uh, uh, it's, it's a hard business because, you know, there's a lot of players. So how do you get your name out there? You know, what's the, what are the things you could, uh, you could share with us on that? I'd say it's probably a combination of things. One being your differentiator you know uh, what it is that you do that nobody else does or, or your process that you you or your approach that you take that nobody else takes and um, for Siegel and Gale it's simplicity every everything that we do is all about trying to find the simplest solution which is not the easiest solution in fact often it's the most difficult and um, because you're trying to make sense of the complex um, but I think also a, another side to it is the is the people in the business you know the personalities and the values of those people and um, and how they approach things. Um, I think a, a, a business is, a, is the sum of the people. So a lot of the time, if you have the, the right people on board and you know, as, a, as, a, as a brand, I might be buying from an agency, I'm buying from the people, I'm not buying the agency for the most part. So yeah, I think it's a combination of those two things. If you can, if you can get the right people on board and you have a, you know, a, a USP or a, a differentiator, it's gonna, it's gonna bring you a long way to, to finding your place within the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so on that note, like what's the um, talking about, uh, because you have a, an experience in, the, in that area and, and I'm talking about acquiring clients for, for agencies. Um, what, what kind of, uh, you know, channels, uh, projects, tactics uh, work and, you know, I'm not, you know, asking you to reveal your secrets here, but uh, just like, what are the things that you guys, you guys focus on to get new business in? Yeah, so I mean, from the marketing perspective, content plays a, a really, really big role, obviously, uh, and events. Um, and I, I think it's about kind of just trying to produce the highest level of content that you can, something that you can be proud of. And this this year, we uh, or actually the tail end of last year, we put together our a B two B tech CMO study, which was our second CMO study in twenty twenty, which. We, we interviewed basically 16 CMOs from the B2B tech space, brands like ATOS and Microsoft, NTT. Um, and we got their perspective on, on how they've tackled the challenges of COVID and how they're using those learnings going forward and, and looking beyond to the future. And it gave us an opportunity to confirm a lot of what we already knew um, around things like organizational purpose and you know how it's top of mind right now and you know can be your North Star and stuff like that. But it was like, it was really amazing to be able to get so many perspectives in the room uh, from, such a, some, from such established brands and stuff like that. And for, for me, when you're going out to the industry with, with a piece of content, if you can bring the perspectives of 16 CMOs or senior marketing executives from massive B2B brands globally um, and say like, look, I want to have a chat with you or we'd, we'd love to have a conversation you know, about where you guys are at and how we might be able to help you. If that works for you, great. But if not, here's some, you know, content that we've put together that has like a lot of perspectives from your colleagues and your peers that I think you're going to find interesting. It's, I think it's going to go a long way. You know, I think the key point is really just providing value. You know, is if, if you ask yourself before each interaction or before you reach out to somebody every time, am I adding value to this person? Is, you know, are they going to read this email and say like, right, this is useful and I'm glad this person reached out. Or are they going to go, this guy again, man, he just doesn't leave me alone. 
why is he emailing me <laughs> you know and i think if you if you're if you're able to honestly say to yourself like yeah this is providing value to these people then you've you've kind of set yourself up to you've set yourself up properly and given yourself a, a decent foundation to build on um but i think i think if you're just annoying people it's it's not going to end well for anybody <laughs> I remember I used to um, I used to work in um, an insurance company, and uh, I, I went to a conference. It's a, a very large one, and uh, I went to a conference with, for you know the from the salespeople, and they were like the top sales guys, uh, having a, kind of a you know sharing their tips and everything. And the guy that was ranked second in terms of you know sales numbers and all, he he said, "Listen, I don't have a lot of you know advice to give you." the only advice I can give you is I just never take no for an answer. And I was thinking at that time, like, oh my God, this guy, like, <laughs> I would never want to deal with this guy. Like, I don't know how he actually sells anything. So <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, I think it's, you're totally on point when you talk about, um, you know, providing value. And, uh, um, and uh, I think it's, uh, it's shifting the whole uh, B2B sales space um, I think it's shifting more towards a sort of hybrid role with marketing. And uh, uh, I think the old days of picking up the phone and just calling people all day and, uh, um, you know, and trying to be in their face is, uh, is over, I think. I don't know, but I think it's not going to last very long. Um, it's just something people don't respond anymore uh, to. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, just my opinion. Um, yeah, I think people just get so inundated these days with... Um with you know with content and with advertising and with like all these different touch points that you know that you just can't get away from i mean if, if you looked at maybe 20 30 years ago when you got inside your front door it was pretty much your tv or your radio that was the only way or you know posting the mail in the post or in the post box or whatever and that was how you know it, companies might be able to reach it but now it's it's literally every you, you wake up in the morning the first thing you have in your hand is your mobile phone and you know, you open up a website or, or Reddit or some social media and you're being advertised to straight away. So I think we, we as consumers have, we, we have higher expectations of how we want to be sold to and how we want to interact with brands. And I think there's a lot of power in the hands of consumers these days on how they interact with brands. Um, and I think if you, if you really believe that you're going to just continuously strong arm people into sales and that people, your, that your brand awareness won't be affected or not, sorry, not your brand awareness, but your brand perception won't be affected uh then you're being naive you know like people will at some point i think turn against that and, and fight that um and, and we've seen it we i mean we see proof of it that you know the brands that that interact with customers or understand their customers and and prof really really listen to them are the ones that ones that succeed like amazon for example is known for putting the customer first and understanding the customer and that's that's why they're so successful you know, every disruptor is the same. They listen to the customer and understand the needs and that's how they end up being disruptors. Mm -hmm. So if you decide that you're just going to try and force people to buy as much of your product as possible by, you know, hiding a, hiding something in a, in a trial run or something like that, or they making it difficult so they can't unsubscribe, unsubscribe to something, you know, it's, it's not going to, I don't think it's going to serve you very well in, in the long term. Yeah, Absolutely. I actually used to, um, my first business was selling, um, you know, um, cold emailing services and outbound lead generation services, basically, and software. Uh, and I don't believe in that anymore in the sense that um, because it's become so competitive now, I mean, you, you, you used to, like five years ago, you used to get maybe 
one or two uh, you know prospecting email uh, per you know per per week. Now it's one or two per day, and so in that sense, like I I don't believe in that kind of channel anymore, and uh, it doesn't it just doesn't work. I mean I I've actually tried it again lately, and uh, it's just uh, yeah it, it doesn't work anymore. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, about the COVID and uh, how the how the business has been has been going with the, with the crisis. Did you see any any change maybe in the approach uh, uh, clients would have with you guys on uh, some projects or like how did the how did the crisis go for you guys? Yeah, it's been it's been challenging, I guess, for for ourselves, like everybody. You know, we we had to pivot, at least within our team, we had to pivot our our marketing strategies completely last year around about March, April. Um, and it was, it was tough uh, because obviously on a local level, we had to do it. Uh, and our market was, was at a different position that other markets on, in, in the world were as well, or in, within our offices where we've, we have offices in, in the Middle East, Asia, the, the US and in Europe. So each of those four territories were at very different points of the process when, when COVID was, was running throughout the summer last year. Um, and I suppose it can be tricky to pivot globally when everybody is at different points of that process or, or that journey. Um, but I think it's, I think it, it, it was a positive, it was, it was a, there was positives in it for us. And I think we were well set up anyway, because we were quite a, a tight global team within BD anyway. Um, and we worked very closely. Uh, when for our clients, I think it was probably the same. I'm sure they they found it quite different, and it's it's hard for me to say because I don't work as closely with clients as I would with uh, you know on a day to day like uh, like the people on the in the design team or the the, the strategy team or anything like that. Um, but going from speaking to them, yeah, it was definitely around things like I guess empowering staff you know it was things like they they felt that they had to empower their staff to be able to make decisions and and to do that they needed to to have you know an organizational purpose to to use as a guiding light so that staff could could know what decisions they could make and quickly you know i know one i think it was the cmo of ntt told told a story of how one of one of her staff um had to make a decision over a weekend on whether or not to give to basically to set up a hospital with uh with a video conferencing system so that people with COVID were able to communicate with their families. But because he, he knew the company's purpose, he was able to make that decision quickly himself over the weekend and, and implemented. And the, you know, it made a real difference to, to people's lives. Um, whereas before, with, you know, if you don't have a purpose or you don't have some sort of guiding metric to be able to say, right, this is, these are the kind of decisions that we make and these, these are the directions that we go you know somebody else might wait and say well maybe i'll just chat to management on monday morning and see if this is something we should do um so i think there was a, a i think there was a big a big push from organizations to 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 find their purpose if they don't have it which i think is rare these days anyway i think most organizations do do have a purpose in some way shape or form but i think one big thing that a lot of places found was that they didn't really understand how to activate that purpose um, and that was one of the things we've seen people coming to us for now is helping in actually activating um, their purpose to, to figure out how to, how to guide them through things like the pandemic. I see. Um, it's very interesting because, so, so if I understand your point correctly, you mean that uh, the crisis actually forced you guys to 
uh, and probably your clients to um, completely change the, the systems in place and the way you communicate in general. And um, the ones that didn't have uh, sort of a strong set of values and uh, were completely thrown off by the crisis. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. So having your values and your purpose in place and, and understanding, you know, how they, how it all fits together just gives you a roadmap to be able to, you know, sort of traverse these challenges. It, it allows you to make these bigger decisions quickly, but probably more importantly, allows those smaller decisions to be made quickly. You know, so it's, it's fine for a management to say, yeah, we need to do this. Let's make it happen. But when somebody, you know, closer to the day to day has to make a decision that might have a big impact or might affect, you know, brand perception or, or might, might, I don't know, might not be a, a typical decision they would make on a day to day. Um, they need to be able to have some sort of guidance in, in making those decisions. And when you have people of the same values that probably see the world in a similar light and they're all fighting them towards the same goal, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it becomes easier to make those decisions uh, and to make them quickly. For, for our pivot, it was, you know, from our team, it was mostly around things like how we're interacting with our clients. You know, we, we did a lot of physical events and stuff like that. The day-to-day -day stuff, I think, pretty much stayed the same. Maybe collaboration became slightly more tricky because obviously everybody went online instead of in, in you know in physical presence with each other. But I think I think most like most organizations, we sort of found the workaround with that by you know bringing in some tech solutions that you know that worked um, to help people get around it. So uh, you did you guys move the uh, on the events online, for example? Is that one of the things you that you've done? Yeah, exactly. So we we host um, a bi-weekly future branding CMO event where I think we're kicking off the next season on March the 8th uh, for Women's Day. Uh, and it's basically where we gather five CMOs uh, onto a panel and our CMO, Margaret Malloy, will will interview them. Um, and then I think what's what we found in the past was that, you know, obviously Margaret is based in our New York office, in our HQ. So most of the events would run over there. Uh, and you'd get five CMOs maybe from East Coast of the United States and they would sit together on the panel and then they'd move West Coast and you get five CMOs from over there. But because of the pandemic, one of the really interesting things that we found is that we've, we've been, we have access to panelists from all over the world. So we've had panels where, you know, there's people on from four different time zones or five different time zones. We, I think we had one where we had somebody in Saudi Arabia, West Coast United States, East Coast United States, UK and Brazil, you know, so it was like a incredibly diverse perspectives being brought to the table you know um which we never never would have been able to do without moving everything virtual and and which which happened really i suppose because of covid or at least was expedited because of covid yeah, it's uh it's interesting i i what, you, what you're saying because it's uh it kind of uh, brought a question that i, I want to ask you do you because you're dealing with so many uh, cmos and uh, coming from different cultures and different areas of the world. Um, are there any differences uh, culturally and in the way they, they like to be approached or in the way they, um, you know, they like to be, uh, you know, in the way they, they like to work basically uh, between a CMO from the, from the US, from the UK, from the Middle East, like, uh, are, are there any differences? Yeah, you know, I think, um, I think there's massive cultural differences that we, we that we deal with every day, you know. I I think the with the states, obviously, it's one. It's a it's a huge place, but it's one country, uh, and of course, there's a lot of diversity and a lot of cultures in that country. But it's again, it's still one country. 
Uh, Europe, on the other hand, is, is multiple countries, multiple cultures, multiple languages, borders, you know, different governments. And that that makes it difficult to, you know, to, to communicate, you know, with one piece of content, say, for example, across that industry. And then the same when you get to the Middle East. I mean, I know in the Western world, people might look at the Middle East as being sort of similar, but actually, you know, Saudi Arabia and the UAE are vastly different countries. Um, and I think, that, again, it's a similar situation to Europe or, you know, where there's like different cultures and different it's just a different, it's a different region and it's, it's got its nuances and, and each country has its, its culture. Um, and I suppose I wouldn't, I don't, I don't think it's really been a challenge for us. I think, yeah, okay, it makes, it makes things more difficult when you're trying to communicate or if you're creating a piece of content that's going to resonate in a region, obviously it has to, it has to have a somewhat local accent. Um, I mean, certainly if it's, if, if you're going to be focusing on a country that doesn't have English as a first language, you might need to to put it into into the native language, which of course is in Europe is going to be completely different than within a you know 100, 100 miles of sometimes. Um, but I think we we try to repurpose content as much as possible and uh, and sort of I suppose change it incrementally where we need to. Um, but I think that it's not so much that it's been a massive challenge. I think it's more been a, a big opportunity for us because it's been it's given us a, a chance to pull learnings from different places. Uh, and, you know, having somebody from the Middle East on a panel with somebody from the West Coast of the US means, you know, the chances are those two people are learning from each other and getting perspectives they wouldn't usually have. Um, and I think that's where the value has been in, in it for us. I see. Um, and so in the way they deal with agencies, you didn't find any major difference, like at the end of the day, like it's the, they kind of have all the same objectives or are there any differences? No, I think there are differences. You know, I think, um, I think each region is probably at a different point of the journey or the different point of the process. You know, um, I'd say the US is probably a little bit ahead of, of the rest of the world in one sense. I'd say the UK might be a little bit ahead in, in another. I think things like purpose are probably not as big on the agenda in the Middle East as they are in the US and the UK, although becoming more important. Um, and I think it's, this, and of course then there's different things like, you know, things might take longer in some regions than, than in others, like think, you know, just even signing contracts and stuff like that. And, um, and of course, like holidays take place at different times of the year in different regions too. So, you know, uh, Eid is coming up what beginning of the beginning of the summer so that's going to be a, a quiet period in the Middle East whereas Christmas in the US and the UK is a quiet period so it's you know there, there is all of these things that you have to take kind of take into consideration but I think for the most part you're, you'll find that most of these organizations have a global presence so there is a, a pretty a pretty good red line that runs throughout them all um, in that they are sort of fighting towards the same goal they are they are looking for you know, to build on their global presence and to um, to be seen as global as well. So I think there's a, I think that does make it a little bit easier to to kind of to deal with the nuances. I don't know if you can talk about this, but uh, are there any kind of uh, big topics that uh, your the CMOs you're interacting with are really into? Like, and um, obviously there are COVID you know, related topics, but even before that, like, what are the big topics that are really worried about that they want to work on and that ask you that, you know, they, that they come for you, you know, with and say, Hey, we need help on this. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, uh, 
I think it really depends on the organization and where in the world they are as well. Of course, like the last year has just, everything has been about COVID really. And I think the, the perspectives or the, the priorities have changed as, as we've gone through the, the whole process of, of COVID. At the beginning, it was a case of trying to understand what to do. You know, there was sort of like, you know, different stages of the whole process. And, and the first one was really just kind of getting, getting a grip on it and saying, right, we need to pivot. We're probably not really sure how we need to pivot, but we need to. And we saw a lot of organizations try to do things like, you know, help in the process, help the government in dealing with the, with the, with the virus. You know, we saw like BrewDog now currently is, is making their, or trying to make their, their pubs available to, to use them for as vaccine centers. And they made hand gel at the beginning for, you know, to, so that people could, because it was a shortage of hand gel and stuff like that. But I think what the challenge was, was knowing whether or not you should be playing in those areas as well. You know, it's, it's kind of easy to go, oh, this is a good space for us to be in. You know, it, uh, we can help in some way by doing this, you know, or that, but it's kind of a question of whether or not you should be playing in that area. You know, like while it made sense for, Brewdog to make hand gel because they they deal with alcohol. The, the hand gel they did make wasn't good enough. It, it, it didn't reach the, the standards that was needed by the NHS and was wasted, you know. And we've seen that sort of similar so, sort of similar stuff happen even before COVID, you know. I mean, everybody remembers the the, the Pepsi ad with um, I think her name was, I can't remember her name, one of the Kardashian sisters, I think it was. And it, it completely backfired on the brand, you know, because it was because it just didn't make sense for the brand to be playing in that space like they, they're, they're not they're not an authority there they don't belong there and trying to force their way into that conversation doesn't make any sense and I think that's kind of where the conversation has sort of continued in that it's been around like does you know does it make sense for us based on our purpose and our values to be in this conversation yeah. or when it hits COVID does it make sense for us to be moving into this space and trying to help in this way and I think that's, it's really important to recognize that sometimes you're not in a position to help. And if you're trying to force your way into that conversation or trying to shout from the rooftops and get people to look at you, you're creating noise and, and it's not helping to solve the problem. You're actually creating a problem. Mm. Um, so I think that was a big, big theme at the beginning of the whole of COVID was just finding your place in the world and knowing what you should do and what you shouldn't do and knowing where you should or shouldn't play. Uh, and I think as it progressed, then people started to try and figure out things like, right, now that we have this sort of the ship steady again, what do we need to do to make sure that our employees are looked after, you know, their mental health is, is being taken care of? And, um, and what do they need from us? Like, do they have the right technology in place? We've sort of shoehorned everything really quickly and everybody had to just take a laptop home where they could and start working from home. But are they set up now to, to do this long term if they need to? Um, and then I think it moved from there into sort of looking toward the future, you know, as, as countries started to come out of lockdown in the summer, I think everybody was sort of saying, right, we sort of see an end in sight, you know, probably at that point, we still believed that we weren't going to have to go back into another lockdown. Um, and I think people were saying like, right, how do we prepare for the future now? Can we start looking at launching brands again or launching products? Should we see this as an, as an opportunity to do things or do we need to just kind of stay sort of stay back in the background and just say like right maybe this is not the time for them we should just kind of keep things moving for moving as they are until everything goes back to normal and then kick things off again um and it was sort of trying to traverse those challenges and, and understand where what they can and can't do really to an, to an extent um we saw situations where some of our clients did launch brands but just didn't 
just didn't announce it. You know, they worked on it for two years or a year or something like that, or, you know, and when they, when they, you know, they, they probably delayed the, the release of the, of the brand and then eventually just said, you know what, there's no point in us trying to make a big song and dance about this because, you know, it's just, we're first lot, we're not going to cut through the noise and secondly, we're just going to add to the noise. So let's just launch it. And then when the time comes and we can, we can talk about it maybe retroactively. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just really been about finding your place in the world. Um, but I don't think it's a new conversation. I think the, the world seems to be, it seems to be and has been in flux for some time now, you know, with the speed of change, with technology, with political instability, with Brexit in the UK. There's, there's lots of macro challenges going on in the world right now. And COVID is just, albeit a, a huge one, but it's another one. Um, and I think brands have been trying to figure out how to get through these. Uh, and COVID has just really expedited how, how brands tackle these challenges, really. Thanks. I, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting topic. And uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about, about you and, you know, and, and uh, I have a, a very simple question, but maybe it's not that simple. Um, what do you like about your job, um, first of all? And what, is, what do you like, like less, maybe? <laughs> I won't say dislike, but uh, yeah. Um. I guess what I really, really love about it is the people. I love, I love working with people. Um, and that's a big driver for me in any job. I, I think if I was to be stuck in a room on my own, I probably, albeit we pretty much are during a pandemic, but <laughs> I think I'd, I'd struggle day to day with that. Um, and collaboration as well. I, I really love collaboration of, you know, I think it's, you learn so much from it um, that it becomes like a real driver for, from wanting to get up in the morning, you know, um, I think it's become yeah, it's become difficult when when COVID hit, but we've started to figure out ways around it um, by using technology. I, th I think the challenge of it, and this is probably the part that I don't like currently. To be fair, is just that it's become really difficult to have those sort of day-to-day -day random interactions with people, which I find are hugely valuable. Um, I think a lot of a lot of organization organizational culture is built on that. And I think a lot of staff well-being is based on that as well. I think people probably probably take a lot of um, probably view where they're at in the business based on those interactions day to day. Uh, and when they're isolated or they're they're not having those random interactions, they probably feel a little bit like vulnerable or, or isolated from the rest of the community or the business. Um, and I, I think we're still we're not there yet. I mean, not just Siegel and Gale. I think every industry is not there yet. Uh, and replicating those random interactions. Um, but I also, to get back to the point of the, of the question, I, I think one of the other things is the, the, the pace of change that, that happens in the role. It's a really high-paced role and every day is, is pretty different. You know, if you're looking after things like events and content and, um, you know, managing budgets and things like that, every, every day is, is pretty different. And, while it can be pretty high paced and it can be pretty stressful at times, no two days are the same and it's never boring. You know, there's always something to do that's going to, you know, you'll always find something to do that's going to keep it interesting for you. Um, so I think it's that combination of working with people in high paced environment and, and a lot of change. For, it suits me quite a lot, particularly when I'm working in a situation where I can collaborate with people on different things and learn from people in different industries and different departments. That's probably the, the big one for me. 
I'm trying to think of something that I don't like about it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you like less so, this uh, binaries, like maybe something you enjoy a little, little less. Yeah, let me think. I always, you know, I, I always try to stay positive on things and I always look to the good, you know, so that it, keep, it keeps me motivated. So it sort of feels counter, counter to what I, what I would typically do is to try and look at the bad, even though that's probably healthy because you're not going to fix anything if you don't recognize that it exists. Um, I suppose it, it can be challenging sometimes, you know, working in different time zones and things like that. Like, you know, the, the US team is, is early in the day. The, the team in, in Dubai is late in the day. Um, so you're sort of waking up to emails, you're going to bed to emails, that, that can be difficult. Um, but I think it's more about just, I think, I think that's more about just us where we are right now as a society during COVID, you know, we're, we're still trying to find that balance between work and life um, and, and really just, yeah, sort of, sort of finding how, how we should turn off and how, we, how you walk from the couch to the kitchen table or from the bedroom to the sitting room and sort of say, right, work is over. You know, usually for me, I, I used to walk home from the office uh, before all of this and, and that kind of walk home, that 40 minutes or whatever of a walk home was my way of turning off the, the you know, turning off from work. It was, it was sort of like, it, it, in one sense, it was kind of sort of finishing the day and it was a transition period and it was an incubation period as well. So it was a nice way to, you'd walk into work and you'd start to, mull over some of the things that are in your head for the last couple of days with work and how you're going to solve problems and stuff like that. And then on the way home, it just kind of says, right, work is finished now. What are you going to do when you get home? What will I have for dinner? When do I need to wash the clothes? When do I need to clean the flat? You know, um, where are we going to go? Are we going to go out tonight? That kind of thing. You know, it's just, it's sort of hard to do that now because your, your journey home is, is obviously, you know, five seconds <laughs> and it's a case of closing the laptop and then, you know, I think people are shutting off at different times as well because everybody is working a little bit more flexibly than they would have. Um, yeah, so it's about striking that balance. And it, I don't think we're there yet, you know, everybody, every company, every industry. But I think we'll probably, we will get there. It's just one of the trickier sides to it probably right now. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's really important to have a buffer at the end of the day that kind of sort of... Uh, uh yeah just build something that separates work from from just relaxing and uh starting doing that by just working out even for even for 20 minutes just like doing some exercises or it just helps me uh kind of move on from uh, from the, the the work day um and i think it's uh i mean it's uh from what i know and i have a very little experience with it, with agencies is that uh uh, it's usually a place where work-life balance is not always easy because um, I, I, from what I found and from talking to people and working a little bit in the industry as well is um, it, it's, it's challenging to kind of um, even just sometimes take some time off because you're, you're, the clients can really depend on you. There could be a campaign running and you need to be present. Uh, there could be like there's a lot of uh, urgency in the in the world, so that makes it really exciting. And uh, uh, but when you compare it to a standard marketing job in a at a company like a client side, it, it doesn't compare. Like in terms of I think uh, urgency. Um, so you know I I, um, I think if you add on that the COVID crisis, I think it it makes <laughs> you know it, it. I don't know if you agree with me on the first of all on the on the uh, you know the what I'm saying about work-life balance in agencies. Is that something you agree with, or I don't know? 
Yeah, I think so. I think it, it does tend to be a bit challenging. You know, you, um, there's often times where you're, you're at home and you'll need to work late or something is going to come in and you'll need to just react to it straight away. Um, I've had times over, over my career in different agencies where something has come through and in situations where, you know, I was, uh, where I was doing something that was pretty important, you know, on the, on my, in my personal life where I had to just, you know, take care of it. Um, because there was nobody else to do it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's always been a challenge. And I think, you know, I think it's, it's easier when you're, you know, the one, one thing that agencies have, have, have done for years, which is to try and create that kind of like family culture, you know, people having drinks together on Friday nights and watching movies together and playing table tennis and pool. And a lot of that is to, to try and help you know create that culture where if somebody needs something you can ask them late at night if, if you really really need it you know um and it helps a lot because you know if yeah you, you know if you need something from somebody and it's important then you contact them at eight o'clock at night and they they see it they will probably respond and they will probably get it over to you if need be um so i think in in that sense probably it hasn't been as much of a challenge the difference now is just that it's become a global a global thing you know so it's like people in one half of the you know the other side of the world might need something late at night and and you kind of in one sense probably need to keep an eye on your phone the entire time now just to keep see if something has come through that you need to, you need to sort you know particularly and you know it's not all the time but i guess during covid obviously it's been it's it's been it's been a challenge but also if you have something major that's happening like you've got a big event coming up or if you have like you know something on the horizon that's that's taking a lot of a lot of your time then yeah you know you kind of feel like it's 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 for your own good as well to make to, to stay on top of it because your day just gets harder the following day if you don't deal with it as, as quickly as possible often oftentimes you know so you know maybe it's related to this but uh what do you feel like you you'd like to improve in in your career in your in your skill set and uh, is there anything you want to learn in the uh you know short you know medium term like is there what 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 do you what do you want to learn and improve on um i definitely want to get a better understanding of the industry as a whole i want to be able to deep dive into the industry more um and understand both the brands that we work for and kind of their drivers for decision making and things like that uh, and also the the different departments within within our own within our company and within within our industry so you know like creative and strategy and and research and stuff like that like and experience um i find it i really want to get a, a proper grasp of of as much as i possibly can because i feel like when you can connect those dots together it just makes you better at what you do uh, and makes you better prepared for any challenges you might face in the future um so i think for me like next step career-wise is is I mean, it's it's with Siegel and Gale anyway. It's staying with Siegel and Gale and and trying to grow within, trying to grow with the business and help trying to help grow the business as well. Um, I think you know if you want to learn about the industry, um, there's probably no one better to do it with than the than the agency that you know designed the original NBA logo. You know that's and particularly an agency that you feel so aligned with on on things like values and uh, and culture and you know, purpose and things like that. Like Siegel and Gale is about simplicity. You know, everything we do is based around simplicity. And and that's something I feel really strongly about as well. You know, when I was a musician, again, it was about taking a complex topic and trying to put it into a three and a half minute song, you know, 
that was catchy and that you know maybe wasn't super obvious at the first read when you read the lyrics but when you when you read them a couple of times maybe they meant something you know different to somebody else or maybe they maybe they, the the point came across pretty pretty clearly and i think you know simplicity probably has multiple definitions but for me it, it was something that kind of aligns with something like design thinking as well which i'm a really really big fan of pretty much anything where you're trying to understand the end user or the customer or the audience or anything like that for me everything should be people centric uh, and that's similar to what simplicity is is just trying to get to the really core of a problem or a topic or whatever it is and then trying to amplify what's important about that core um, and when, I think when you find alignment with a, with a business like that, the way I have with Siegel and Gale, that just drives you to want to stay there and grow with, with the company um, and, and learn from the people around you that have similar ideals or at least, uh, I, I suppose, want to move in the same direction as you do. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mick. I, uh, I think we can, we can wrap this up. So uh, could you maybe uh, tell us where we can reach out to you if, we wanna, if someone listening wants to... I don't know, send you a question or just uh, invite you somewhere or follow you? Where can they follow you? Yeah, sure. So LinkedIn is probably the social channel I use the most, which it's just Mick Smith. Smith with a Y, just to point out. <laughs> and Or if you want to get me on email, you can reach out to me at Siegel and Gale, uh, which is msmith, S-M-Y-T-H, at SiegelGale.com. Thank you so much, Mick, for taking the time. Thanks, Pat. I really appreciate it, man. Really enjoyed it.